0: Verse uh, chapter 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the groom will not be her upon her who is distressed. As at first he lightly extinct the land of Zobah and the land of Nippon, and afterwards more high, heavily oppressed her. By the way of the sea beyond jo- Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them is the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as a man rejoices when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke and the burden and the staff of his shoulder in the day of manna. For every warrior standards from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for the burning and the fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his peace there will be no end upon the throne of david and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from the time from this time forward even forever the zeal of the lord will will complete it
1: amen, amen something powerful about that prophecy. Thank you, Nokomis, for reading that for us. It's a powerful prophecy because it speaks to the fact um, that we're entering in a new season where we celebrate the fact that God came for us. So Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm glad to see you and uh, glad to add those who are joining by live streaming today. Christmas is supposed to be a joyful time. I think it's that whole peace on earth, goodwill towards men thing. It's supposed to be part of our celebration that we're filled with joy at this time of the year. But for some people, uh, Christmas this year feels less joyful. Uh, For some, it's because of the pandemic, and uh, maybe they feel less connected to their family, uh, to friends, or to their church. But for some, it's worse than that. Back in September, uh, we as a church, and a number of you joined us with this, we went on a prayer walk with Greater New Beginnings Christian Church at uh, 21st and West Oak. Uh, It was towards the end, I think, uh, September 26th or something like that. And we as a church joined their church and went on a prayer walk, and there was a a number of you here who joined us on that prayer walk. And we started from Greater New Beginnings Christian Church, which actually has only been in that building for probably six or eight years. Before that, it was um, Greater St. James AME Church, which is a historic building in our city, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached there in the 60s. And so, of course, when I was there, I went and stood in the, the pulpit, you know, just so I could say I preached from the same pulpit that he did, even though I didn't really, but... Um, And so we were there that day for prayer, and many of you who were there remember we met David Thomas, who's their outreach pastor, and um, we got to know him. We had a great experience, and as we were going around, I think one person even got saved. We got to pray for a lot of people. It was really a wonderful experience of connecting with Greater New Beginnings Church, and uh, it was just a great day. Well, this week, I was back on the West End on Wednesday. To join David Thomas and, and some other pastors to pray over our city. And when I walked in the front door of that building, I saw David and I could tell something was wrong. And I said, Hey, brother, what's going on? And he told me a story just a couple days before that. They were meeting again to do another prayer walk when a car came running down the wrong way. It's a one way street that the church is on. It was going the wrong way. It pulled up actually onto the church's property. It's just the front door. The sidewalk into the street. I mean, there's no yard in between. And the car pulled up. Man jumped out of the car and yelled out, help me. He had been the victim of a drive-by shooting. And so David and and his wife and and a number of people in the church ran out to help. The the car had sustained uh, almost 40 rounds fired into the car. The man who was driving was the target of the people shooting, but they didn't hit him. They hit his girlfriend who was sitting beside him. She was holding her five-month-old baby in her hands and had another child in the back seat. Three rounds hit her and killed her. The baby was also hit but was in critical condition and is actually today still in the hospital. A bullet in in his head as well. He's recovering. And I I had just, he's telling the story, I had just come out of a meeting about masks. And then all of a sudden I realize I don't have very many problems. As I'm listening to David, I'm seeing his eyes as he's telling this story. And so they run down to the car, and the blood is still actually on the road there. You can see it today. They run down to the car only to discover that the woman who was killed was their niece. And she has five children, eight years old and younger. I asked David if I could share the story today because they're trying to take up clothes and gifts because they're going to go through Christmas without their mom this year and in following years. And so I, I, what do you say? I, I mean, what do you what do? You do? I, I just put my arms around. I know we're not supposed to be hugging, you know, but I have my mask on just in case anybody's, you know, I put my arms around him, and I just started praying for him. What do you say? And as I just began to pray for him and then the other pastors came in and and, and they got around him and we laid hands on him and prayed for him and prayed for their family and prayed for these children now who are going through Christmas without their mom. And so this whole week, and this is supposed to be a joyful day and we're supposed to be celebrating as we think about Christmas, but I can't get this family off my mind. And I'm just wondering, what does the Christmas story say to that family? Like, like, what does it mean to them? Because if Christmas is just a bunch of sentimental, feel-good, yummy-in-our-tummy sort of stories, uh, I'm not sure what it says to a family experiencing that kind of tragedy. But, but if it's more than that, if it's more than sentiment, then maybe this story about a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem who would rule the world, maybe that's exactly what they need right now. And maybe that's exactly what we need right now. I mean, what does Christmas, for you and I, what does it say for those of us who are in the middle of a pandemic? What what does Christmas say to us today? Well, the answer to that question, I think, is contained in this prophecy in in Isaiah chapter 9. If you had your Bibles, flip open to that. Isaiah chapter 9 that Nokomis read for us earlier. There's a few things that, that this text says about Christmas, that Christmas speaks to us today. Uh, I've got a few, actually, to no one's surprise, there will be three things. Number one, the world is a dark place. It's what the text says. See, when when you read this prophecy from Isaiah, written some 700 years before the events it prophesies, uh, one of the things that jumps out at you when you read it is that while we do experience a lot of sentimentality in our cultural celebration of Christmas... And by the way, there's two Christmases. You know this, right? There's the cultural Christmas, and then there's the real one. There, there's a cultural Christmas that's Santa Claus and trees and lights and tinsel and baked goods and presents and Amazon.com and, and shopping malls and, and, and Christmas carols. There's cultural Christmas, and then there's the real thing, which is God took on human flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the real Christmas. And while there is surrounding cultural Christmas a whole lot of sentimentality, actually the real Christmas is the most unsentimental, realistic way of viewing the world. Verse 2 says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So the historical context in which Isaiah is writing this is that the northern kingdom's already been taken into exile by Assyria. The southern kingdom's going to be taken into exile in Babylon. And the only thing that most people in Israel could see at the moment was darkness. And it was dark. I mean, the end of chapter 8, if you, we don't have time to go back to Isaiah 8, but if you did, you would see how dark it was. People were looking to mediums and spiritists to consult the dead. Like they were so hopeless, they were looking to dead people for hope. That's pretty hopeless. The text says when they would look up, they would curse the king. Isaiah 8 verse 22 says, Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Wow. How many of you know the Bible does not sugarcoat reality? it basically is saying this life without a savior is dark and if we're trying to save ourselves there's no hope there's just utter darkness it's just and how dark is it it's so dark that you start looking for hope for hope from dead people and in Isaiah's time, they, they were looking to mediums and spiritists. They were, some of the others were looking to the king. Others were looking to mystics and scholars to fix this world. In other words, they were looking to the things of this world to fix this world. And all it did was lead to more darkness. And by the way, we're no different. Today, the darkness only seems to be increasing. I mean, you don't have to watch the news very long to wonder if collectively we've lost our mind to wonder, have we actually lost the ability? Because it seems so. I mean, if you just watch the news, it almost feels like we've lost the actual ability to discuss an idea without yelling at each other and calling each other names. It's like we've, we've lost that ability to actually discuss an idea. And some people are looking to politics to be their savior, and some people are looking to entertainment to be their savior, and some people are looking to technology. A lot of people do this. They look to technology to be their savior, and all that leads to is more darkness, Christmas is a very realistic way to look at the world we live in. It says there's darkness, there's utter darkness, but it also says there is hope because a light has dawned. In that darkness, Messiah has come, and that leads us to the second thing that Christmas says. It says this, Christmas isn't a fairy tale. See, the prophecy of Isaiah, written some 700 years before Jesus, in in Isaiah uh, chapter 9 here that, that Nokomis read, it can feel like a fairy tale when you first hear it. But when you get to the New Testament, which describes the events that were prophesied about, uh, the, the whole New Testament begins with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, which says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now that is significant. You go, know, why is that significant? Because Matthew's story does not begin the story of Jesus with once upon a time. I mean, that's the way fairy tales start. That's the way myths and legends, and that's the way Star Wars begins. And normally, when you hear that phrase, once upon a time, it signals that the story you're about to hear didn't really happen, but it's a beautiful story and it teaches us something. But Matthew doesn't begin that way. He says, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. That means he's grounding the story of what Jesus has done in history. In other words, Jesus isn't a metaphor. Jesus isn't a fairy tale. Jesus is real. This really happened. In fact, if you have an ESV, English translation of the Bible, the heading, as I was just kind of looking it up in some different translations this week, uh, the heading in ESV says, the arrival in history of Jesus the Messiah. The arrival in history. In other words, this actually happened. Tim Keller wrote a book called Hidden Christmas The Surprising Truth Behind the Birth of Christ, and he does a really good job of explaining why this is so important. He says the biblical Christmas texts are accounts of what happened in history, they are not Aesop's fables. And what are Aesop's fables? Just inspiring examples of how to live well, right? Uh, there's a moral to the story. But when you read the God, there's no moral to the story in the Nativity. The shepherds, the wise men, the Magi, you know, the Mary and Joseph, they're not being held up as examples of, uh, you know, be like them and then you'll be spiritual. That's not what it's saying. The biblical texts aren't primarily telling you how to be good, they are telling you what Jesus did. You see the difference? Aesop's fables are advice. The gospel is news. See, and, and the, great founders of all, of, uh, the great founders of all the world's great religions say this, I am here to show you the way to spiritual reality, spiritual enlightenment. Here's what you need to do, and that's advice, right? Jesus, however, doesn't say that. Never once does he say, I'm going to show you the way. What does Jesus say? I am the way. I am spiritual reality. I, here's what I've done for you. You see the difference? That's not advice. That's news. Christianity isn't primarily about self-improvement. It's not. I mean, it's not a place to get inspiration for how to live, though there's a lot of inspiration there about how to live. That's not the point. It is first and foremost a message of the fact that you need a Savior and you can't save yourself. So Jesus came. Keller writes, You begin with Christ not by adopting an ethic, nor by turning over a new leaf, nor even by joining a community. No, you begin by believing the report about what has happened in history. See, Christmas isn't a fairy tale. I remember one lady in our life group years ago, uh, in one of the life groups, she was, she was telling her story that, that she, p- people began to tell her that certain fairy tales, and I'm not going to go into it just in case children are watching right now, uh, that certain fairy tales weren't true, and she fully expected that someday somebody was going to tell her Jesus wasn't true. She was sad by that because she wanted Jesus to be real. She didn't want it to be a myth. Well, the Christmas, there's the good news. The Christmas story isn't a myth. It isn't legend. It's history. It isn't advice. It's news. And if the Christmas story isn't a myth or a legend, if it actually is history, then it's true. And if it's true, it changes how you see everything, including myths and fairy tales. You say, what? Yeah. See, the, the great fairy tales... And legends of our time and beyond, just just kind of think of some of them, you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Sleeping Beauty, Star Wars, King Arthur, Lord of the Rings, Marvel comics, you know, like the Avengers. Of course, none of that really happened. But we kind of want them to have happened. Don't we? I mean, for one thing, it's way more exciting than our actual real lives. <laughs> that's, you know, that's number one. But number two, they seem to appeal to a set of longings in the human heart. Because deep down in every human heart, we have these desires. I mean, if you look in yourself, you know this is true. Deep down in our heart, we have these desires to experience the supernatural. We want that, we want to escape death, we want to know a love that can never be lost, we want to live forever, we want to fly. <laughs> we want to save the world, we want to conquer evil. And, and, and not only do we want those things, we want all of them, but we feel they should be true. It should be true that we have an incredible love our lives should be adventurous death shouldn't be the end we shouldn't lose our loved ones evil should not COVID should be defeated we all feel that inside we know that and when we come to the Christmas story at first glance it looks like just another one of those myths and legends I mean here what do we have we have a hero who breaks in from another world He has superpowers, he can calm storms, he can heal diseases, he raises people from the dead. He's put to death and all hope appears to be lost, but he rises from the dead and saves everyone. And at first glance you go, oh, another myth. Like King Arthur or the Avengers. But Matthew's gospel refutes that by grounding Jesus in history. It's not once upon a time. It's the genealogy of the arrival of the Messiah in history. In fact, Jesus is the reality to which all those other myths and legends are pointing. All those other stories that we find so appealing are only there because they're pointing our hearts that have these longings to the reality of Jesus who actually fulfills those longings. When when the boys were, were younger, and this happened really more with the older boys than the younger boys, but I used to tell them stories, and I used to tell them these Tim and Paul stories, Uh, And, you know, in in a Tim and Paul story, you know, these were these guys who were ruggedly handsome. And six-pack abs, bulging biceps, incredibly intelligent, funny. And I would tell them stories about how Tim and Paul would wrestle alligators and slay dragons. And they were kind of fun, you know, stories. And I can't remember which one it was, I think it might have been Graham one night after I told the story, he, he looked at me and he said, uh, hey, Dad, I wish those stories were true. And I said, I do too. <laughs> Mostly because I would like six-pack abs. Just like to know what that feels like for once in my life, you know. I've asked the tech people, can, is there not a way you can change this for the people online, you know, is can we animate something? But do you know what? But actually, you know, here's the real reason. You know the real reason he wanted that to be true and the real reason I wanted it to be true is because there is a great story, which is true. There is a kingdom. There is an evil dragon that has the whole world under enchantment. The human race has suffered amnesia. We have forgotten who we are. And there is a great prince. And we are warriors. And there is a love that will conquer death. And we will live forever. And guess what? I'm a fly one day. Because Jesus Christ is the great story, and it's true. Yes. And the fact that it's true changes how we see everything in the middle of a pandemic. It changes everything. I know what you're thinking. What did C.S. Lewis say about this? <laughs> I know. You were thinking that. In his book, Mere Christianity, which by now you have all read. He said, people are laughing pretty hard at that, yeah. If you haven't read it, it's been read to you by now if you've been around here for a while. Here's what Lewis says. Enemy occupied territory. That's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. That is outstanding. I wish I had written that. So, number one, what, 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 is, what does Christmas say to us right now when things we're going through to my to my friends downtown who are, have just experienced a drive-by shooting? It says, number one, the world we live in is a dark place, but it also says that Christmas isn't a fairy tale. And number three, it says Jesus is the true King who saves. He's the true king. I mean, if you look at that prophecy in Isaiah 9, it's it's saying that when Messiah comes, when Jesus shows up, he's going to be king. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And in fact, when, when Nokomis was reading that, didn't you feel the energy rising in us? As he said those words, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Well, if somebody's on a throne and they're over a kingdom, what are they? They're the king establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this is part of the Christmas story, that Jesus comes and he's king. And when you get to Matthew chapter 2, this is what happens. The Magi show up and they come to King Herod. They've seen this star and they're coming to worship and they say, hey, can you show us where the, this new baby that's born king of the Jews is? And Herod didn't want to hear that because he was king of the Jews, or, or so he was claimed to be. I mean, he wasn't even fully Jewish, number one. Number two, he was only there because the Roman Empire had installed him as king over the Jews. And so when he hears somebody say, we know a king of the Jews has been born, he doesn't like it very much because he didn't want another king. So what did he do? Here's another way where we see that the Christmas story is actually very realistic because what, what King Herod does is, is the slaughter of all the innocents. When all male baby boys, two years old and younger, were killed. Why? Because Herod didn't want Jesus to be king. He wanted to be king. And a lot of people are like Herod. Not, not so much, you know, going around killing people. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean, they don't want Jesus to be king. They want to celebrate Christmas, but they want to be king. They like the story of baby Jesus coming, but, but, but they want him to stay a baby in the manger. Like eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus in the manger. But the problem with that is that he grows up and he takes charge. And he's in control. And so if you want Jesus, if you want to celebrate Christmas, you have to celebrate Jesus as king. I, I was watching a, a Tony Evans uh, message uh, this week. On YouTube, And by the way, just side note, as long as we can get through this COVID thing, uh, Tony Evans is going to be here with us in February. Amen. Okay, I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited about that. It's going to be a great time. Um, but I was watching this, and he was preaching a message called Missing Christ at Christmas. Uh, and he was talking about how people miss out on Jesus Christ. And he was basically talking about the fact that if you're not celebrating Jesus as king, you're not celebrating Christmas. And, and here's what he said. This is kind of a rub, this is not an exact quote, but it's basic. He said, if Jesus can't overrule you. If Jesus can't silence you, if Jesus can't boss you around and tell you what to do, then you aren't celebrating Christmas, you're celebrating you. So don't call it Christmas. Call it a holiday. I mean, call it a party. Call it, I'm taking a few days off. Don't call it Christmas because if Christ ain't king, it ain't Christmas. And by the way, it wasn't just Herod who didn't want a new king. In the story of Matthew 2, you don't have to go there, but you can read this later. When, when, when the Magi ask Herod, you know, where is this baby born to be king of the Jews, where is he? He goes to the chief priests and the teachers of the law because he doesn't know his Hebrew Bible very well. You know, that's just part of the story. So he goes, hey, where's the, you know, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they get the right answer. These are the people who have a degree in Bible, okay? They've, got, they've been to Bible college, they've been to seminary, they've got a Ph.D., okay, in Hebrew Bible, and they get the right answer, biblically, theologically. They say he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And they actually quote the biblical text of Micah. They say, Micah says, and, and, they, and they get the answer right. But then they don't go out to see him. Listen, it, it's not enough just to get the right answer. It's that you follow him as king. You submit to him as Lord. Lord. It's, it's not just, I mean, and, and listen, we believe in Bible study around here. We're really into Bible study around here. We got Bible studies and, and we believe in it. And, and I got a bunch of degrees myself, but here's the deal. Having the right answer doesn't fix anything if you don't go to him. If you don't submit to him as Lord and king and say, Jesus, you, it's you. You're king. Because the Bible is not just an end in itself. The Bible is there to connect us to Jesus as King. In John 5, there's a story where Jesus is talking to some of the Pharisees, and he says, you diligently search the Scriptures because you think by them you, ha- you obtained eternal life, but these are the Scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come and receive life. It's not enough just to say Christmas is real. We've got to come and submit to it, submit to Jesus as king, and it's not just that he's king and he's in charge, it's that he's the king who's going to make all wrongs right. He's the king who redeems. He's the king who forgives. He's the king who saves. I mean, Isaiah is prophesying that when Messiah comes, he's going to reverse all the destruction that's been done. That's what he's prophesying. Basically, here's what he says. He's going to bring an end to exile. He's going to bring an end to slavery. He's going to even bring an end to war. And he's going to rule, watch this now, with justice and righteousness. I hear a lot of people on the left talking about justice, and I hear a lot of people on the right talking about righteousness. You know what Jesus said? I got them both. And he's going to rule with justice and righteousness, and there will be peace. And to the increase of that shalom, there will be no end. In other words, what's he going to do? He's going to reverse the curse. He's going to reverse the curse. He's going to make every wrong right, all the evils of drive-by shootings. All, all the evils of this pandemic which includes those we've lost physically and those who emotionally and spiritually are going through a really tough time right now all of that will be reversed and healed and the best picture I can think of that and you'll forgive me for using this illustration again I hope is the lion, the witch and the wardrobe when the Pevensy children go into this magical land called Narnia where animals can talk I, and I really wish this was true I, I, because we have this dog. We have a dog named Duke. And and, and he's part Basset Hound, part Basenji or Basenji, however you say it. And, and, and I look at him and I want to know what he's thinking. I wish I could talk to him. He thinks he's in charge, he thinks he's the Duke. And I wish I could talk to him, you know. So this gets my attention, you know, a magical land where animals can talk. But the problem with Narnia is that uh, Aslan, who is the great lion who represents Jesus Christ, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, um, um, he's gone away and there's a usurper to the throne, Jadis, and she has all of Narnia under a curse where it's always winter but never Christmas, which is a terrible curse. Can you imagine? Always winter but never Christmas. It'd be awful. But everywhere Aslan goes, the curse begins to be reversed. And wherever he goes, snow begins to melt and the, the flowers press up through the ice. And the kids don't know what's happening until they go to the home of Beaver, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and they tell her of the great prophecy of old that says that the curse is going to be reversed. And here's what it says. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. It doesn't rhyme unless you say the last word with the British accent. Okay, so here's the point. Where did Lewis get that prophecy when he wrote that? He got it from Isaiah, prophesying about Jesus that the curse would be reversed. Now listen, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, okay, but I'm told by those who are, people I've read and people I know who are Hebrew scholars, that that even though as, as the prophet Isaiah is prophesying these events and they're all in the future from his point of view, all of the verbs in these last couple of verses of Isaiah nine one to seven are in the perfect tense. And you say, "Oh, praise God! They're in the perfect." What does that mean? Uh, it means that even though they're in a future moment, he's describing it with all of the certainty of a completed action. And some of you go, that still doesn't help me. Let me try to illustrate. And I'll try to illustrate this a couple of ways, okay? So if one of these illustrations doesn't work, don't put it on Facebook. Just say, it doesn't work for me. And wait for the next one, okay? All right, so a couple of illustrations, all right? It would be like, for those of you who like basketball, okay, if you're a basketball fan, and, and, and there's this guy, Steph Curry, uh, who, who, who's a three-point shooter. He's a specialist in shooting three-pointers, right, which is the longer shot, Away for those of you who don't know what basketball is. It's a sport we play in Kentucky. Um, and, um, and, so, and, and so sometimes he'll be in the zone, as they say, or unconscious, or, 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 or he's feeling it right? And, and, and what Steph will do, he'll shoot the, I say Steph as if we're friends. I, I've never met the man. Uh, what Mr. Curry will do is he'll shoot a three and he'll be so confident it's going in, he'll turn around and start jogging down to the other end of the field of the court as if it's already gone in because he's already feeling it. It, it, it hasn't happened yet in history. The ball is still going through the air. It hasn't gone through the hoop yet, but the shot's already been taken and he says it's a done deal, so he's going to act right now even as if it's already happened. Because he already took the shot. So I'm acting right now. I'm running on down to the other. I'm going to go play defense now because that's going in. The shot's already taken. And Isaiah is writing like that. He's saying it hasn't happened yet, but the shot's already been taken. And you can be sure it's going through the net. Now, I can tell that didn't, illustration didn't work for some of you. Let me try one more time. It's, like, it's been a while, but... Um, when you buy a house, it's been a while since we bought a house, but uh, uh, when you buy a house, you know, this is the way at least it used to be, you sit down at the table and the attorney or whoever's doing the closing documents comes in with basically a whole tree worth of paper. And they go, and then you get a pen, you're in your spouse, and then, and then and you start signing. And you keep signing and you get carpal tunnel syndrome. While you're signing your your initial, this one page 17 times, and sign your name, you know, and you're just signing and you're signing and you're signing, and you get to the end of the page, and then you've signed every document, and the attorney or whoever's doing the closing stands up and says, "Congratulations on owning a new home," and in that moment, you own the home, even though you haven't taken possession yet. Right, legally on the paper. Now, nothing's changed in terms of the house, but in terms of you, on this piece of paper, you are the owner of the house. It's It's a completed action even though your car is not in your garage. And it may never be because your wife's car will be in the garage. Okay? Your couch is not in the living room. Your bed is not in the bedroom. But you own it even though you haven't taken possession. Why? Because legally it's yours even though it's not completed yet. That's how Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah 9. It hasn't happened in history when he says it, but he's absolutely sure it's not in doubt. It's the perfect tense. So even if it looks like it isn't happening right now, don't be deceived. It's going to happen. As sure as you're breathing oxygen right now, it is going to happen. You have to keep that in mind as you read this prophecy and as you think about Christmas in our world. Let me show you how that works just really briefly and then we'll be done. Look at verse 6 again. Look at this verse. The names that this king is called who would come. It's important for us to see this and let it in. This is who Messiah is and this is who he is to you. This is where it gets personal, okay? We're not just talking about something out there. This is, this is where the story out there comes in here and changes my life. This is what Christmas says to our friends who are victims of drive-by shootings. It's what Christmas says to those in a pandemic who are lonely or isolated or disconnected. Look at verse 6. And he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's just look at those real quickly and then we'll be done. Let's just look at those four things real quickly. First of all, he is wonderful counselor. Does anybody here need counsel? <laughs> Do you have some decisions coming up? Do you have some difficult circumstances in your life? Do you, are you coming to Christmas and you've got some family dynamics? You know, like there's a family dance you got to do. Can we, and can I just say this? Can we just let go forever that there's any such thing as a perfect family and just admit that every single family has dynamics? I mean, listen, the number one reason my family's not perfect is because I'm in it. And it's the same thing about your family, okay? I mean, I'm not in your, you know what I'm saying, You. All right, nobody's perfect is what I'm saying. And the one guy who was perfect, Jesus, his family was screwed up. You don't think so? Read Matthew chapter 1. Read the genealogy. Jesus, only one person in history got to pick his family. One person in history. that was You didn't get to pick what family you were born into. Jesus did get to pick. And who did he go to? A screwed up family. Why? So that you would know you ain't the only one. I mean, you read Jesus' genealogy. He's got murderers, adulterers, prostitutes. He's got all kinds. And worse, in his family. So what am I saying? Listen, every family has family dynamics. Do you need a wonderful counselor? That's Jesus. And maybe some of you are making some big decisions right now, and you need wisdom. Man, he is the fount of all wisdom. He's a wonderful counselor. And second, he's Mighty God. Mighty not just a good guy? Might Get the words right. Mighty God." That means he has everything you need. He is everything. need. His power knows no limits. His arm is not too short that it cannot save. There's no problem too big for him. No sin that's too big for him to forgive. There's no addiction and there's no bondage beyond his power to deliver. There's no sickness or disease beyond his ability to heal. Nothing. Mighty God. I don't know. I think maybe there's purely some people here just need to see a demonstration of his power in your life. He is, that's who he is. He's, he's not just wonderful counselor of all wisdom. He is mighty God. And then it says everlasting father. He's everlasting, meaning he didn't just show up today. He didn't even just show up 2,000 years ago. He has always been. He will always be. He's the one who is and was and is to come. He is infinite and eternal. Your problems are finite and temporary. And it's not just that he's everlasting. He, did you hear that? He's your father. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, he is your father, meaning he's not just mighty and powerful and everlasting, but you can approach him as a child to his father. I mean, this is an incredible truth. That almighty God of the universe is our father. And we can go to him like that. Do you believe that? And sometimes when we see the the, the facts that get put out in the news, sometimes we need to place over it the fact, the truth, over the facts that Jesus is everlasting father. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And then, man, one of my favorites, Prince of Peace. Man, we live in a world where peace is in short supply. And if you're feeling peaceful, just get on social media, and then you won't after a while. Do you need peace? He is Prince of Peace. And that means, first of all, peace with God in our relationship with God, that sin is removed and we're at peace with Him. But it means more than that. It means peace with one another. And it means even more than that. It means an inner peace that is there irrespective of the circumstance. Like if things are going well, I'm at peace. If things aren't going well, I'm at peace. Do you have that kind of peace? Do you? Really? So, So what is... Christmas say to us today, it says these three things. Number one, the world's a dark place. Christmas is very realistic about the world we live in. But it says number two, Christmas isn't a fairy tale and a light is dawned. And number three, Jesus is the true king who saves